Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How is everybody today? Summer is in full swing as I record this podcast and I've got a guest today. I can't wait to introduce you to him. So all um, lately we've been talking about all of these things that it takes to be successful as you are either looking for or as you get your new job. And that's what we're specifically going to be talking today about kind of that first 90 days on the job and What are the critical elements? I I can think of so many people over the years that I have seen kind of ruin their chances for success at a company by the way they start out, kind of starting out on the wrong foot. So we've got some great help with that today. So I want to introduce my guest. His name is Robert Moment. And uh, I think, Robert, you reached out to me, um, what, on LinkedIn? How did you find me? Um, Actually, it was in the career um, podcast directory. Excellent, excellent. So you had found my podcast and felt like you had something valuable to contribute to my listeners? Yes. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think that uh, I think you were right on target. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, prior to becoming a Get Hired Expert, which is I'm an interview coach, I have over 20 years of business experience working for major Fortune 500 companies such as Citigroup, Manpower, Pitney Bowes, Xerox, in the roles of corporate executive, account manager, business development. And I was helping clients and also colleagues interview for jobs. And one day a client, a colleague said, you know, you can do this for a living. And I would say eight years ago, that's when I I made the leap um, to become um, a job interview coach. I love helping people. I'm based out of Arlington, Virginia. And one of the things I see um, that people when starting a new job, I'm glad you um, we we're talking about this today because what you said earlier, getting off to a good start, first impressions is everything. Absolutely, you know. There's I I used to when I was in higher education, the kind of the the saying was. You, you had a lot more room for error. You know, you were in a honeymoon period when you first started the job, but on the other hand, they were really going to be judging your kind of performance for the whole time you're at the company by what you do in that first 30, 60, 90 days on the job. And so you really want to hit it um, full throttle when you get started. And so I'm looking forward to getting some of those uh, pointers from you today. So let's start with talking about what do you think are kind of those key pieces to starting off on the right foot on a new job, Robert? You know, Lisa, one of the key um, key things, and I call it success strategies, the most important one that you want to be able to leverage as a new employee is to listen and learn. And what I mean, listen and learn, you want to be able to understand your manager's communication style. You want to be able to learn that leadership style, but also you want to start to learn immediately the procedures and regulations within the company, the core values, the mission statement, and the vision. I think that's so important. You know, I think a lot of new employees, especially younger ones, will want to come into an organization and expect management to kind of adapt to them and their learning style and their work style, and it really kind of has to be the other way around. You've got to adapt to the people that are already there, especially your manager, would you agree? I totally agree. You want to be able to learn how to fit in, 
because fit in because believe it or not people when you start in a job the first 90 days is really actually an extension of the new employee's job interview because like you alluded to earlier you're still being um, judged in terms of your probationary period so you really still be are being interviewed I think that's a great point. There are no, certainly in today's work climate, there are very few jobs that are secure in any real sense of the word. I think that's, I think that employees can oftentimes get lulled into a false sense of security with their job when in fact it is always, and I think kind of should always be on the line, not to the point where the employee is freaked out or, you know, overly worried at all moments. We don't want that culture. We want this culture of, hey, you know, you got to put forth your best effort or, you know, there's really no place for you in this company. That first 90 days, the hiring manager wants to make sure they made a good decision, but they also want to make sure that you're a good culture fit. You know, a lot of times people think it's just performance, but do you really fit in within the organization in itself, the culture? Do you work well with teams? Because the next strategy that is very important, you want to be able to know how is this job measured in terms of performance and what are the expectations? Absolutely. That's a question I actually like my clients to ask in the interview so that they get a sense of how their performance will be measured. So what are some of the ways that employees can kind of maximize that, you know, that performance evaluation time so they can really come out shining? That's when you want to be able to be asking great questions because one of the strategies also is to be able to solicit weekly performance feedback from your manager by asking good open-ended questions because they can give you really good constructive criticism on your strengths and also your weaknesses starting immediately, I would say the, even after the first week. Are you finding that most companies have wised up to the fact that annual performance reviews are ridiculous and that if you're not giving performance evals at least on a minimum monthly basis, you're really doing your employees a great disservice? Yes, when I'm talking to hiring managers or even recruiters, yes, I am hearing that. Yes, I am. Absolutely. So if your company, the message I'm hearing from you is if the company you go into doesn't offer that kind of continuous feedback, you want to ask for it, especially in that first 90 days. You don't want to wait until the 90 day review, that is far too long into your tenure with the company to know how you're performing. Lisa, excellent point, because one of the strategies also, a part of the 11 success strategies is to really, you want to be able to get feedback on your job performance the first 30 days, 60, 90 days, so monthly, not after the 30, because what happens all of a sudden, you know, you're blindsided, you said, well, I thought I was doing great, but if you haven't had continuous open communication with your manager, then you don't know really where you stand because that can be stressful. If you're working on a job the first 30 days and you haven't had good dialogue in terms of your performance, because no one wants to have a job and then in 90 days and then restart the process all over again in terms of interviewing and your job search. Exactly. So you want to make sure up front, how will I be evaluated? When will I be evaluated? You want to ask for what you, you know, what you need. So if it's not frequent enough, you want to ask for it and get really specific criteria for measurement, because then you know, you have a really good idea whether you're meeting their criteria. You know, if it's a certain dollar amount in sales or whatever it is, the field that you're in, this is, this is what success is considered. 
then you're going to have a lot better idea of whether you're performing at the standard or not. You know, two words I want your listeners to really embrace. Be proactive. Absolutely. Ask for what you need and, and don't hesitate to get that feedback. I don't know about you, Robert, but I could remember years ago, oh, I was probably in my, I don't know, early 30s, if I was even in my 30s at that point. And I had a boss who waited for a year to give me a performance evaluation. And he had, I had an employee who wanted my job. And so she had portrayed some things to him in, in a light that favored her and was, was not favorable to me. Um, and he didn't bring that to me when he first found it. He saved it for my performance evaluation. And I felt like I'd been ambushed. It was so, it felt so awful. And I promised my employees that I would never, from that point forward, I would never be that kind of boss that gave that kind of performance evaluation. So hopefully the listeners are going to get regular good and bad feedback, but there's not going to be any ambushes. You know, that's a great story because that happens a lot. And it happens because once again, you're not, you have to solicit weekly performance feedback in the first 30, 90 days. And even I would say beyond, because you don't want to get blindsided because that is not a good feeling when you have one expectation of your performance and then your manager has another expectations of your performance. So that's a great story, but that's a story. It's not just, I know it happened, you know, several, several years ago, but you know, Lisa, that's something that's still, um, frequent. I hear that. And the reason why there's a breakdown in communication. Absolutely. I think, I think for many bosses, the perspective is that, you know, they just don't want to give that bad, that bad news to that person. And they don't realize that by not sharing it, they're just making it worse because now we're compounding time. And of course, human nature is that if that boss is now perceiving that employee as underperforming, what he or she is going to look for is evidence, further evidence of underperforming. So while he's hanging on to that, you know, that bad piece of information for that employee, he's also, his brain, whether he's aware of it or not, is gathering additional evidence that that employee is underperforming. So it creates a snowball effect. You know, it does. And that's some managers, not all, of course, because I don't want to make a general statement, but that's when you, you have to, it costs so much money to go and go through that process again, instead of really coaching that individual. And, you know, the managers have to take ownership too, because I would say to any manager, they made that hiring decision. They had that individual for a reason. Something they saw in that individual that they thought that individual could bring value to the organization. So there's some accountability with managers too. But of course, we have to be held accountable for our own careers when we get hired, when you get hired for jobs. But yes, there's some accountability for managers as well. I was taught early on, and I really believe this to be true in almost all the cases, is that if I have to terminate someone in the first six months of their employment, it was my mistake as the boss. I did something wrong because if you think about it, in you know what can an employee do? You know, let's assume, let's take out of the mix, you know, they they rob the place or you know those outliers, but let's just look at this average employee. We've hired them. We think they're a good fit for the job. We've gone through the ropes with them. And, and within six months, if we have to let them go, we have lost, we have done something wrong along the way. We missed something. We missed an opportunity to help that employee succeed. You know, after that point, then the, the, the 
the, the meter kind of moves over. It can be the employee's fault. It can be an, a problem with the employee. But I really think in that first six months, it's almost always the boss's fault. I totally agree because my father, he taught me this years ago. He said, when you're making a hiring decision, he said, you can hire for attitude first and train for skills second. Yes. And I made the mistake of hiring for skill because you can, it's hard to change someone's bad attitude. Yes, you you know, I, I always said that I can train. Like I always said when I was in higher education, I wasn't hiring anybody for rocket science, right? That there was nothing terribly difficult about what I was asking them to do, but that attitude is so critically important. And as you pointed out earlier, it can be just a cultural fit. And you know, we can see that, we can look at evidence of that in pro sports. We can look at, for example, a, a professional uh, coach who is just a terrible match for one organization goes to another organization and they, you know, go all the way to the end and win whatever it is in their sport. Um, or conversely with the player who's just a, not a good fit on one team and a great fit on another team. So this is not limited to corporate America. It happens everywhere you look. It's all about that cultural fit. Great point. And across the board, um, that is across, I see that across the board, Lisa. And one of the strategies that you want to be able to learn and observe the culture. And yes, Glassdoor is great, but Glassdoor is still not going to give you a great snapshot. You want to be able to ask the employees, describe the culture, because the culture is so critical. N identifying the key players, the key individuals, the influences, do you really want to get a, a good handle on that culture? Absolutely. I think that's great. So do you have any more tips in this uh, in this area before we move on to a different area? Um, just some more tips. Okay. Identify, identify opportunities where you can add value. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of my kind of rules of thumb is figure out what it is that your boss both does not like to do and is not particularly effective at and pick one of those to sort of take that burden off of his or her shoulders you get seen in a very positive light if you're successful with that thing you're relieving a burden from your boss and you're getting a chance to shine lisa you know what you just you hit a home run you become indispensable exactly you know i i um learned early on i'm a, a master practitioner of the myers-briggs so i always think of things from personality perspective and so when i was hiring somebody the last thing I wanted to do was hire the same personality as me because they would like the same things and be good at the same things and dislike the same things and not be so good <laughs> at them as me. And so I'm, I'm nowhere. I haven't accomplished anything. I wanted to hire somebody. I had a, I had an assistant director. He was probably the best assistant director I ever had when I was in higher education. And he loved doing reports and numbers and budgets. Oh, gag. And so it was so wonderful. <laughs> it was so wonderful to say, here, Dave, um, take this. And he'd be just a happy little camper and I would be a happy little camper. Everybody won. <laughs> I can, I, you know what? I can relate to that. I do not like administrative um, things. And that's why I have an assistant because I just, I just go crazy when I have to do administrative things. Absolutely. So, so figure out where you can add value with your boss, with your team, um, you know, with the company as a whole and just get in there and shine, right? Yes. Any other tips for us in this regard? Uh, I would say, and the last one too, to really know your team members, to know and embrace your team members because 
success is not built on just you being an individual based on what you bring into the organization. You're gonna ha- they're gonna play a role in your success. And that goes whether or not you're on a an in-person physical team or a virtual team. There's definitely some additional challenges in in becoming a team when it's a virtual team, but it can be done. And so you just want to make that extra effort to really get to know those people just because one of them is across the country or across the world doesn't mean you don't still want to develop a rapport with them. I totally agree. All right. So our listeners have gotten in there. They are getting that regular performance eval with their boss. They're, they're becoming a cohesive team with their team members. They're adding value wherever they can. So now they want to think about how can I position myself for a promotion, right? So what are some tips around that? One of the tips, um, I love this word, of course, you're going to hear it over and over, is value. You want to be able to start to look at ways where you can really add value. You want to identify opportunities. And opportunities, it could be to take on more complex projects, um, take on more leadership roles. But the key is to be clear and concise on what you want to do in terms of your next step, in terms of position. Because once you define the roles and responsibilities, then you can tailor your strategy to um, that position that you want to um, pursue. And oftentimes I think it has to do with kind of figuring out what are you not using in your current job that, this is what I hear from my clients a lot, is that they've figured out that there's this piece missing that is keeping the boss from thinking they're qualified for the next step. So most recently this was a client who, due to the corporate culture, was did not have PL responsibility for her department, which for those of you who don't know, that's kind of you've got management over the budget and make budgetary decisions. And she didn't have that in her department, even though she was in a senior, just like a vice president. So she we were strategizing about that. And and of course there was nothing she could do at that point because she was actually interviewing for the promotion. But we did talk about kind of how to present what she did have in the best light. So my point being Sometimes it's a, it's a matter of stepping back or conferring with your boss if that situation is, is available to you and saying, okay, where do you see my weaknesses? Where do you see room for improvement? Do I need to prove myself as a leader? Do I need to prove myself as a budget manager? Do I need to prove myself as a project manager? And then set after getting those, those projects that allow you to flex those muscles. That's excellent. And I would tell the listeners in terms of promotion, start to build your case. And what I mean, build your case start to document your accomplishments and your successes that's quantitative, that you can prove quantitative results. Have you saved the company money, made the company money? And also, once again, start to take on leadership roles. But the one I think a lot of times people, Lisa, ignore when they're looking to get promoted, I suggest informational interviews Let's say if it's a VP and you want to become a director, maybe in his department, I will highly recommend informational interviews. So are we talking about informational interviews with the other members of that department or how do you see that going? I would say within the, organiz- within the organization, within that organization, look at the organizational chart. If you want to, let's say you're a business analyst and you want to become, let's say, associate business analyst will talk to the VP of, of the director of business analysts. Okay. Have an informational interview with him or her. 
So really getting a sense of what are the requirements for the job and what are they looking for when they hire someone so that you can really be prepared for that. You can start working towards that. Yes, and also that's also too internal networking. Oh, for sure. Because the promotion that you want doesn't have to be in the same department. It frequently isn't. So you want to get known outside of your department um, for your for your skill set so that they would think of you or or uh, think of you favorably when you apply for a promotion. Yes, because it's, it's part of, you know, self-promotion. Um, yes, I, you know, you want to blow your horn in such a way. Yes, you still want to be humble, but you want to get noticed and get recognized. Because I think the key is when you start in any organization, you want to know how to fit in, how to leverage what you know in terms of applying your skills and your value, and then how to get promoted. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because I've worked with a lot of both men and women, and I often see my my women clients are just not as comfortable with self-promotion as the men are. And I really think that that in many cases is the differentiator and why sometimes the guys get the job and not the women. It's not the ability. It's not the quality of the work. It's the ability to self-promote. I hear this a lot. And I said, well, um, why are you interviewing? I got overlooked for a position. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you got overlooked. Um, let's talk about that first. Um, and the reason why a lot of times I always differentiate between quality qualified and the best qualified and it goes back to what you're saying a lot of times because they didn't build that case mm-hmm. they were more qualified but because you know the man he was doing self-promotion and he was visible and he got the promotion but not really well deserved when i hear women say uh and this i hear the frustration because when they tell me what they were doing they should have got, they should have got, I'm not saying 100%, but I would say 99.9%, they should have got, they should have gotten a promotion. And I tell you, one of the things that I think goes miles in this regard is play the game. And by that, I mean, literally, if the game is golf, and that's where business is being done on that golf course, ladies, if that's, I think we're talking mostly to the women in this regard, learn how to play golf. We actually did a golf, um, golf for business seminar at our local country club at the last university I was at because I wanted my, I didn't want them to be, they were going to become pro golfers after that three hour thing, but I wanted them to know enough that they, that they could get out there and do those group events that, that often happen in companies. And maybe it's not golf at your company. Maybe it's, I don't know, hunting or whatever, and you have to work within the bounds of what you're, you know, morally and physically able to do. But playing that game, you're you're missing an opportunity. If there's a lot of work going on out on that golf course or tennis court or wherever it is, and you're not there, somebody else is, and they're getting the attention of the boss and they're getting the time with the boss. I was working for a Fortune 500 company, and I applied for a position. Individual, he said, "Let's have lunch," and I said, "Great." He said, um, I heard that you applied for the job. And I said, yes. I said, I'm excited about it. He said, well, it will give you a great opportunity to interview at a higher level, but it'll be great practice. And I said, what do you mean great practice? I'm confident that I can get this position. And he said, well, you don't play golf on Saturdays with the VP. 
but this individual does. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yes. And you that you have and I learned early on in my co corporate career, Lisa, you're absolutely right. You have to learn how to play the game. And not only within your department to get the attention of your boss or your boss's boss, but there are a lot of times the Chamber of Commerce will do um, citywide like fundraising golf events and then uh, different companies will put a team together. So that gives you an opportunity to play outside of your department and get noticed. And this gets back to what we were talking about earlier, getting noticed outside of your department and not just your company, but there's going to be people there. There are going to be teams from all the other companies in town that you're going to be playing against. So uh, again, golf and golf is kind of my default one, but the specific culture of your company could be tennis or it could be, um, I don't know, soccer, who, whatever, but just figure out what that is. But in general, learning how to play a decent game of golf is probably a pretty good idea. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I totally agree. One of the things I would also tell, one of the strategies I would also tell the listeners when you're starting a new job, look within that organization to find a mentor and a sponsor. A lot of the women now, when they come to me as a client and they get frustrated because they were overlooked, when they have made this shift, going into an organization, looking for a mentor and a sponsor, that career have taken off. Now tell the listeners how you differentiate between a mentor and a sponsor. A mentor is someone who can, they can show you the ropes, They've been with the company for a while. They help you get acclimated into your new role. A sponsor, that's a key influencer. This individual can create a job for you. He can help you get promoted. He or she can help you get promoted. They have a lot of influence within that organization, within that company. They are the go-to person who can truly make things happen. And what I've seen, when a person can have a mentor, they're going to be successful in their job performance. But an influencer, they can truly help you climb the corporate ladder. Yeah, that sponsor is kind of that person who's grooming you for the next step in your career. They're really kind of taking you under their wing and helping you get there. Um, and I think you're right. Both of those are important and can't often be the same person. It probably needs to be two different people. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I, do, I do agree. Okay. So any other suggestions on really setting yourself up for promotion in your new company? Always go above and beyond and go the extra mile, but also help others to succeed. Oh, so important. So important. So figure out what you can do to lend a hand to your coworkers because then your coworkers are on side with you and they think you're a great employee and they're gonna support you as well. And then the last thing, always invest in yourself. Continuous learning, continuous learning, continuous learning. So even if your company, you know, it's great when companies have corporate universities and they provide kind of everything in house, but that doesn't always happen. And so it, then the onus might be on you to go out and get it. And you want to make sure that you're doing that and staying current with your skills. And, and also it's a great way to network, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Going to yes. a good conference is, um, I have, I have many memories, many of which I would, would never speak about on my podcast about the things that went on in those conferences, but <laughs> we had a lot of fun. <laughs> 
So, all right. So we've got these listeners who are uh, hopefully starting a new job soon. What, if you had to give them maybe kind of three top tips as they step in the door the first day, what are your three top tips for them? Define your value, know your value, demonstrate your value consistently and be able to communicate your value effectively. Ooh, I like that. I like that. And that really gets back, Robert, to the work I do with my clients on branding, because that value should be consistent with what they said their value is in their resume and their LinkedIn profile and their cover letter. Yes, value, that makes you get noticed, get stand out, um, but know your value and then believe in yourself and your value that you bring to the table. Know that you are always bringing something to the table that can help companies to succeed. And I'll tell you guys, if you keep that record that Robert mentioned of your successes, those quantifiable results, I call it a brag file. So whether you keep a computer file, a print file, a combination of both, that file can be exceptionally useful to go back to on those days when things don't go as planned and you can kind of refresh your memory about the value that you do bring. Because it can be really, there's going to be days when you're going to doubt yourself, doubt your worth, and it really helps to have that an indisputable resource to go back to and say, hey, look at all I've done for this company. So I had a bad day, so what? It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, it Everything, when we circle back, um, Lisa, it starts with value. Know your value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been fabulous, Robert. Now, you have written recently a book on this subject, am I correct? Uh, yes, I have written a book uh, on the subject on starting a new job. So tell us what the title is. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. What's the title? The title is Starting a New Job, Career Planning and Job Promotion Tactics for Motivated New Employees. Ooh, sounds fabulous. So when did that come out? Recently? Yes, May. Oh, perfect. Wow, just came out. Well, if you guys want to grab Robert's book, I'm going to put the link in the show notes um, and also his contact information. So if you want to reach out to Robert, do you have any kind of final words that you would like to give the listeners? I would just tell your listeners to be proactive when they start their new job. And once again, always demonstrate effectively your value and communicate your value. Absolutely. Well, this has been tremendously helpful, Robert. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. And listeners, as always, I want to be your career coach. So ask me a question. Shoot me an email. It's Lisa, and that's L-E-S-A, at exclusivecareercoaching.com. You can follow me on Instagram at lisa.edwards. You can follow me on Facebook at Exclusive Career Coaching. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. If you look up Lisa Edwards and you spell my first name right, I'm probably going to be the first one that shows up because I've got a big old footprint, as I've told you before, on LinkedIn. So find me, connect with me. And hey, the, in, the link to my calendar is in the show notes. If you would like to have a one-on-one 30-minute consult call with me, no charge. And I promise we're going to take you at least two steps further along your either your career path or your job search path. I'm going to give you at least two really great tips to get you going. So I'd love to have a conversation with you. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.